Let me start by asking, how many of you like exams? You like giving them? I like taking them. Yeah, I think I heard every one of our high school and college students groan. And given many of them are gearing up for ELCs and finals, who can blame them? I know my two sons don't like exams. Just ask them, they'll tell you. I mean, Matthew don't like school, a little less exams. And we'll ask him, you got 15 minutes or an hour, and he'll tell you how much he loves ACT. That it's nothing to do with nothing. Very few of us have to take exams anymore, but I guarantee you the one we do have to take, you don't like. And that's the checkup. And if you're over 40, who can blame you? you got to get prostate check, colonoscopy, mammogram. The biggest reason is the dreaded blood test, the lab exam. It's like Maury Povich. I'm taking my meds. I'm watching my diet. The lie detector determined that was a lie. <laughs> Most of us are terrified of what our blood work, the lab exam, will actually show. Ask Marty. He'll tell you. Ask a diabetic as they go to get their A1C. What if we're not as fine as we think we are? It's really why folks refuse to have checkups. It really was brought forward this week when I saw a gentleman actually on Friday a month ago for a quarter nickel size lymph node in his neck I tried to get him to go get a CAT scan. He refused. It was back Friday. It was as big as a softball. I said there's no more option. You know why he didn't go get that CAT scan? He was terrified of what it was going to show. What if the tests show I'm not as healthy as I think I am? The best indicator of my health, not only physically, but also spiritually, is not always how I feel, but what these exams show. And so for the next five weeks, we're taking a detour from Luke and we're looking at the events leading up to Jesus' crucifixion to see how through these events God was doing an examination of the human soul. The Gospel of Matthew in particular tells these stories of the rest and trial of Jesus in such a way that we see who really is on trial is me. And who is really on trial is you. It looks like it's Jesus, but in God's eyes, it's me, it's you, it's us. And if we'll see ourselves in these stories, we'll see just why Jesus came and did what he did. Our first exhibit this morning is Judas, and his story starts in an unusual place. So stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word, Matthew chapter 26. Reading verses 6 and following. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And pouring this ointment on me, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? That's the key verse right there. We'll come back to it many times. He answered, He who is dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. 
After the Lord's Supper, skip down to verse 30, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today, and Father, we just thank you for how deep your love is for us, Father. Father, your love for us is so deep in that while we were sinners and didn't deserve a thing, Father, you sent Jesus to be betrayed for us. Father, even after we have known him as our personal Savior, we've continued to betray him. But Father, we thank you that your word is true and that there is no condemnation for anyone that is found in Christ and nothing that we do will ever separate us from the love of you in Christ. And so we thank you for that truth today. Father, I pray that you would give each and every one of us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would have us to take from your word today. And Father, I pray if there's any person here today who's trying to play church or play religion or play Christianity or anything else and they don't really have a relationship with you, that today would be the day that you would break through that stony heart and you would give them a new heart, one that they desperately need to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And it's in his wonderful and precious name that I pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to break this up into, I'm going to spice it a little bit of the text for us, and then we're going to spend the vast majority of our time on application. So starting at verse 6, Probably gonna have to be tied down to the pulpit here. It looks like if I move that thing. All right. So look at verse six. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, Matthew has given us a flashback. Of sorts, because if you look at John chapter 12, it's the parallel passage to this one. And in verse 1, John tells us it's six days before the Passover. So look back at Matthew 26, up at verse 1. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to the disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. And so Matthew's kind of giving us a flashback, and he tells us that Jesus is at Bethany. That's the hometown of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It's where Jesus hung out during the Passion Week. Matthew goes on to tell us that Jesus was in the house of Simon the leper. He's almost certainly somebody that Jesus had healed because lepers were unclean and they were not permitted to socialize, a little less live in a city. And so he's likely throwing this feast in honor of Jesus out of extreme gratitude for healing him and transforming his life. And look at verse 7. It says, A woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment. She poured it on his head as he reclined at table. So Matthew tells us as they reclined at table, Lazarus was amongst them, and guess what Martha's up doing? She's busy serving, if you look at the other Gospels. Does that shock you? It says a woman came up to him. John identifies her as Mary, which is Lazarus' sister. She comes up to Jesus with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment. She pours it on his head as he reclines at table. It was a very expensive ointment. Mark tells us it was pure nard. Very costly. Nard was uh, oil derived from the nard plant. It was native to India, and so it had to be imported, which would have added to its expense. It was pure. It's kind of like if you're going to use, if you want to bake something and you want to do it cheaply, you're going to buy what? Imitation vanilla. <laughs> but if you want to do it right, you're going to have to buy pure vanilla, but you have to put out the bucks because it's more expensive. And so Mark tells us in Mark 14, 5, it was worth more than 300 denarii. That's almost a year's salary. Based on the average salary in America, fourth quarter of 2017, this bottle of perfume was worth 45,000 bucks. Now I've never seen a 
bottle of $45,000 perfume, a little less bought one. You know what I'm saying? Sure, they sell them somewhere. So Mary takes this $45,000 worth of perfume and breaks the flask and pours it all over Jesus. Matthew says his head. John says also his feet, literally head to toe. And John tells us the house is filled with the fragrance of it. And so commentators spiritualize this a hundred ways to Sunday because nard was used to anoint the dead. Did she see it in this light? Why did she do this? I'll tell you the very simple reason why she did this because it was an extravagant act of worship and she loved Jesus. That's the only reason that needed to be given. And spiritualize it a hundred ways to Sundays, but she truly loved Jesus and he was worth anything and everything. Look at verse 8 and 9. And when he, the disciples saw it, it says that Judas was indignant, right? What does yours say? They, they were indignant, saying why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. So Matthew tells us her act didn't please everybody because the disciples saw it and they were indignant. So notice it was all 12. John tells us Judas is the spokesman Matthew points out what was the common consensus of the group Judas just gave voice to. Second, they were indignant. That word in the Greek literally means much grief. They were grieved. The reason they were grieved is because they felt it was an act of waste. Why this waste? It could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. Now that sounds very spiritual, doesn't it? Yet it ain't. And let me tell you, don't we do the same why would this couple sell their house and give all their money away to the kingdom? That sounds very spiritual, doesn't it? Why would a young man become a pastor because God could use him as a doctor or an engineer or something else? That sounds very spiritual, doesn't it? Why would you give up the American life and become a missionary when there's so many lost people here in America? It sounds spiritual, doesn't it? And so what we do a lot of times is we regard as waste what is in fact a beautiful act of devotion to Christ. Mm -hmm. For a young man to give up everything and become a pastor, for people to give up all of their monetary possessions and become missionaries, it's really a matter of what? Priorities. Now what do you think is the real reason Judas was concerned about that she wasted this? Money. Because if you look at John 12, turn there, actually John 12. We'll quick, real quick, we'll read that verse. John 12, 6. He, Judas, said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. He just wanted some more money. I think this, as far as Mary's life, ought to be a reminder to us that others are not always going to understand our devotion and love for Christ. They're not going to understand why you set aside Sunday morning to come to church every Sunday. They're not going to understand why you put as Jesus ahead of family stuff and ball games and why you put your pocketbook and your commitment to the Lord ahead of other things. And why you would go to Africa and risk dying over there when there's lost people here. And so look at Jesus' reaction. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. Amen? Anything we do to extravagantly worship Jesus is a beautiful thing. He says, You'll always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. Now, is Jesus saying, Hey, y'all can't do anything about poverty, so don't even try? No. Absolutely not. Because he said if people are hungry, feed them. If they're sick, visit them. If they're in prison, go visit them. James said, what does it matter if you tell somebody that's uh, starving, brother, go be filled and warm and you don't give them anything. What he's saying is this is a unique moment in history. Take advantage of it. And there's a higher priority than any other earthly ministry and that's worship rendered to Jesus. And look at what he says. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. To me, this shows the authenticity of the Bible. 
You know why? Because if I was Matthew, I'd have left this detail out. Jesus is saying, she's very perceptive and y'all are very dull. And what she did while y'all were saying it is a waste, the whole world is going to read that all you disciples said that this was a waste. Now if I'm writing an autobiography about my life, I'd left out that little detail. But it shows you the authenticity of Scripture. So look at verse 14 to 16. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. So Judas leaves out, goes to find the chief priest in order to deliver Jesus over. He agrees to do so for 30 pieces of silver. If you break this down, Marty, mathematically, 15 grams of silver per coin, 30 coins, one troy ounce is 31 grams, and it's $17 per troy ounce right now in America. That's a whopping 250 bucks he betrayed the Lord for. Look at Zechariah 11. You may famously know that in Exodus 21, 32, 30 silver coins was what was the price for a slave gored by an ox. In Zechariah 11:12, Zechariah writes this, Then I said to them, If it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Dr. MacArthur says that this is sarcastically what the Jewish leaders were saying Jesus was worth. No more worth to them than a common slave. So an application, I want us to do two things with the story of Judas this morning. The first is I want to show each of us here this morning that Judas represents you, he represents me, he represents all of us. He's not a lone wolf, as we sang this morning, I am Judas' kiss. Secondly, I want us to examine why Judas betrayed Jesus because people still do it for the same reasons today. So first is Judas is us. Why do I say Judas represents all of us? First off, because he's a normal dude just like the rest of us. And you may say, well, duh. But think about it. How do most people envision Satan? We've talked about it before. They envision him as a dude with a red suit, horns, and a pitchfork. The Bible says he masquerades as an angel of light. So how do you picture Judas? Is he a sinister guy with shifty eyes? How you University of Memphis fans think about John Calipari? Yes. Yes. <laughs> a guy who hissed when he walked? Super shady disciple that told dirty jokes when Jesus wasn't around? Is he a dark, foreboding guy with a skull and crossbones tat? A 666 pentagram jacket with gauges that listen to red flyleaf and skillet and smoke weed when Jesus wasn't looking? That's how a lot of people envision him. That is a totally wrong picture of Judas. Notice when Jesus said somebody's going to betray him, the disciples didn't all look around and say, Aha, it's obviously Judas. We knew it all along. It was Judas. Aha, we got you. Do you read that? Nope. You know why they didn't say it? Because nobody suspected him. And here's the thing, if you and I had been there, we wouldn't have suspected him either. He was one of the most respected of all the disciples. We know that because he had been elected treasurer. And let me ask you, do y'all elect super shady, untrustworthy folks to be your accountant? Do you go get your taxes done at Mo Money in the back alley of Lamar Avenue in Memphis? There's a reason. Judas had generally believed as well that Jesus was the Messiah. We'll get to that in a minute. And then look, Jesus, he tells the disciples someone's going to betray him. Look at verse 22. I told you that that was the key. Look at what it says. And Judas was very sorrowful. They were very sorrowful. And began to say to him one after another, on down the line, each and every one of them asked, Is it I, Lord? The I is emphatic pronoun. It's like this. I, Lord, is it? You know why? Because each of them thought it could be them, and in fact, here soon, it would all be them, right? Because they would all flee away from it. 
Second reason I say Judas represents all of us, not just that he's a normal dude like all of us, is how the story is told. Look, first, Matthew tells us all the disciples had the same reaction when Mary poured the expensive perfume, right? They all said it was a waste. Second, when Jesus tells them someone will betray him, they all react. Again, look at verse 22. They became sorrowful and became sorrowful and became sorrowful. That's present tense in the Greek. One after another. And then when Jesus tells them someone will betray him, he presents it more as a question. He doesn't say, guys, I smell a rat. There's a traitor in our midst and right there he is. He leaves out the who because it's a mystery. Because like I said, it could have been any of them and soon it would be all of them. And then the word Jesus uses for betray means to hand over or sell. In a nutshell, he's saying one of you is going to sell me out for the right price is that you look into your heart and see if it might be you. And then the disciples are shaky in their response. I said, is it I, Lord? The Greek there is a lack of confidence. It really reads like this. It's not, I, is it? And then Jesus goes on to tell the disciples, it's not just one of them will sell them out, but all of them. Look at verse 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. He says, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and a single sheep will be scattered. It says the sheep, plural, all of them would scatter. And we know, as Paul Harvey says, the rest of the story. And every single one of them abandoned Christ. Each and every one of them had a price whereby they would walk away from Jesus. The story is told of Winston Churchill is trying to make a point about why England should never compromise with evil. A newspaper reporter told him he was an extremist and a warmonger and he asked her, ma'am, if a king offered you a hundred million pounds to sleep with him, would you do it? She thought for a second and said yes. He then asked her, would you sleep with me for 50 pounds? She said, Mr. Churchill, I'm not a prostitute. He replied, with all due respect, ma'am, we've already established what your identity was. I just wanted to know your price. See, the Scriptures have already identified our identity. That we're a betrayer. What Jesus is going to do through your life is He's going to find out what's the price at which you'll do it. Jesus is saying, what's your price? Look in your heart and ask. Judas did it spectacularly. They all were going to do it eventually. Peter was going to even deny he ever even knew Jesus in the first place. So let me ask you, what is your price? Let me first give you a couple of personal examples and then I'll turn it on you. When we left our former church, which I had given seven years of my life to that church and to the Lord there, and we went back one time and literally what a a mural that Vicky and I had put on the wall in the children's room within weeks of us being gone, had been painted over. I felt so betrayed and I thought, Lord, if this is how your people are going to do me, I don't even want a part of it. I'll just walk away. Sometimes the criticism that's been leveled since I've been in the pastorate at myself has caused me to think this is the price of which I'm walking away. My family's made comments about we don't understand why you put the Lord before you. Maybe it'd be best I just acquiesce to their demands. Or when I've been in Africa and JD and Amos got arrested and I thought I was next. Or I saw a woman that I thought had dengue fever and I knew she had already been right there coughing in my face. And 50% of the time it's fatal. Or when Vicky was so severely sick I literally thought she was going to die. When the 
meds were confiscated and I thought I was going to jail when we were in Swamp Village and there was a riot. When there was severe turbulence on the plane and I thought it was going down. This last time when we were lost in a rainstorm and a flash flood. I feel I've been fairly committed to Jesus. I mean, I'd give myself a C. But it's one thing to say you'll follow Him. It's another when the going gets tough. It's one thing to say you love Him. It's another to almost lose your wife in a foreign land serving Him. And say, Lord, that's the price at which I'm walking away. It's one thing to say, I'm willing to go to jail for Jesus while I'm here in America. It's another when somebody's going to take you up on the offer in Africa. You see, God has shown me at many times in my walk with Him my price. And the big point is, I was just like the disciples were. Because I am Judas' kiss. I had a price. I could talk a big game. Let me ask you, search your heart right now. What is your price? Maybe you're willing to follow Jesus when it's convenient, but at what point do you stop? High school kids, listen to me. Maybe you downplay your commitment to Jesus in front of your friends because you don't want to be made fun of. You don't want to be mocked. You don't want to be seen as strange. That's your price. College kids, maybe here's your price that when you start to meet folks, you don't even tell them you're a Christian. You go to date somebody and you don't tell them you're a Christian because you don't want that to interfere. That's your price. The rest of us, maybe it's an area of your life you just don't want to let God have control of. Maybe God's telling you to go somewhere or do something or maybe it's us as a church. God is telling us to step out in faith and do something God-sized and we said, no, Jesus is not worth that price. I'm done. Maybe God's called you or one of your kids, one of your grandkids to do something and you don't want to let them go. Maybe God, I have seen parents and grandparents, their child, their grandchild was called to full-time ministry or missionary work and they said, Lord, that's the price. I don't want them to do this. And they were the obstructionists to their child obeying or their grandchild obeying the Lord. Maybe God's convicted you of something like your music, your entertainment habits, a relationship, and you don't want to give it up. You know you shouldn't be living with your boyfriend or girlfriend, shouldn't be sleeping with them, shouldn't work so much, neglect your family, never take a Sabbath. Maybe God's convicted you of a sin of omission, failing to do what is right. You know you ought to put Him first in your finances, and you just, nope, I'm not going to do that. Maybe you should be more committed to His church. As J.D. Greer said, a lot of us need to get off our blessed assurance and get in the game. But getting off our blessed assurance and getting in the game is the cost in which we say, Jesus, you're not worth that price. Maybe you know you should do something within the walls of the church or outside the wall. Whatever it is, that's your price. So I want you to let this sink in. Judas represents you. And Judas represents me. No, you haven't done exactly what he did, but you haven't been in the same situation under the same pressure he was. It's like people that say, well, I shouldn't be responsible because Adam and Eve failed. Well, let's put you in the garden and let's see how you do, and I guarantee you, you will do the exact same thing or you will do worse. Because there's a price. And brothers and sisters, I think that ought to remind us of this. Just because some of us turn out better than others, you know why that is? It's because of God's restraining grace in your life. And before we start throwing stones and talking about how terrible someone is, why don't you take them to lunch and find out what is going on in their life? Maybe they were sexually abused. Maybe they were physically abused. Mentally, emotionally abused. Maybe they have had loss upon loss in their life. And they just can't get over it. As it's been said, 
the drunk and the drug addict laying in the ditch, but for the grace of God, there go I. I'm telling you, Jimmy asked back whenever he interviewed me many moons ago for a life song. You remember that, Jimmy? Your question was this, and I, that, that question still resounds with me. Without Jesus, where would you be today? And you know what I told him? Dead. Without Jesus, wrecking my life at 29 years old, and praise God He did, I would be laying somewhere in a ditch, dead. Or maybe because I finally couldn't take any more life, I'd have, like my grandfather, shot myself. But for the grace of God, there go I. Only by the grace of God are any of us what we are. Amen? Amen. Alright, so second, why did Judas betray Jesus? This is going to get kind of heavy for a minute. Hold on. You'll be alright. Why did he betray Jesus? Because he had to. He was predestined to do so. He had no choice. Yet to eliminate God's sovereignty with regards to this is not biblical and is not faithful to the text either. I want us to wrestle with this for a minute. Look at Matthew 26. Back up and look at this. Matthew 26, 24. The Son of Man goes how? As it is written of Him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Right there you see a great mystery and a great paradox. Do you have free will and free choice? Nod your head up and down like this. Yes, you do. Because it says, but woe to who? That man that would betray Jesus. But is God sovereign and does He elect and predestine some according to Scripture? Yes, that's what it says because as it is written of Him. It's a mystery. It's a paradox. Because if Jesus is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world, and He is, amen, that's what the Scripture teaches, then Judas was predetermined from all the way back then to betray the Lord. But in that moment, he had a choice, did he not? And so it's a mystery, a paradox of God's sovereignty and human free will. And as your pastor, I refuse to think for you when it comes to second and third level stuff. And this is second and third level stuff. Jesus is God. Jesus is the only way to heaven. That's first level stuff. All this other garbage is second and third level stuff that we argue and fight over while people are dying and going to hell. And so I refuse to stand in this pulpit and tell you how to believe. Unless it's first level stuff. If it's first level stuff, I'm going to tell you how to believe. If it comes to... Amillennialism, premillennialism, postmillennialism, are we out of here by pre-trib rapture, mid-trib rapture, post-trib rapture? I don't know. You search the Scriptures you find out we can have a discussion about it. But this is second and third level stuff. I'm not going to stand up here like the Geico caveman and tell you that Calvinism is bad, Arminianism is good, or Arminianism is bad and Calvinism is good. I'm not going to do that because it does nothing but brings harm upon the church. And the Scriptures are clear that no one is to bring division into it. You read this and you figure it out. I'll tell you one thing. Calvinism and Arminianism confine God more than He is to be confined. All you can do is read the Scripture and say this. Does man have free will? Yes. Is God sovereign and He can do whatever He wants? Yes. Yes. I don't know. It's a mystery. It's a paradox. You go figure it out. But we ain't going to fight about it here at Crossway Baptist Church. Amen. Here's what I know. Up until the moment that Satan entered into Judas, he had 100% choice of what he could do. And here's the thing, people, that a lot of people don't talk about. After Satan entered him and he betrayed the Lord, let me ask you, did he then have free choice once Satan was out of him? Yes. And you know what he could have done and what he should have done? This. Got down on his knees and repented of his failure. Wasn't that what Peter did? He forsook the Lord. He denied the Lord. He repented. And you know where Peter's at? In heaven. 
But Judas, because of the own hardness in his heart and his own free will choice, said, I'm sorrowful and I'm remorseful, but I'm not repentant. And you know where Judas is? Now, I'm not going to make a decision on where anybody is, but when Jesus says it would have been better for him to never have been born, there's only one way I can imagine that it would have been better for him to never been born, and that's if he's in hell today. Alright, so we're through that. Let me give you the short answer of why Judas betrayed him. Because he was disappointed with Jesus. Look at verse 12 of 26. And pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. That was Jesus' idea of Messiahship, that He would die and He would be resurrected, He would go to heaven, and others would be saved, and He would come back and gather them and then set up His kingdom. Judas' idea was this. Get rid of these Romans. Set up your kingdom now. Just like Peter. Lord, you say you're going to die? How be that? No. And what did Jesus tell him? Get behind me, Satan. So let me give you a couple things quickly of why he was disappointed with Jesus as Messiah. Number one, he wanted a Messiah who would punish evil and reward the righteous. Don't we all want that? Don't when you see that there are fellow brothers and sisters in Nigeria dying for their faith? I mean, I wanted to post that on Facebook. We're over here arguing about the stupidest stuff in America. And our Christian brothers and sisters are dying for their faith. And we have the audacity to want to sit here and argue about stuff that makes no sense. Get off your blessed assurance and go share the gospel with somebody. But don't we want those people that killed our brothers and sisters? God, avenge that! Don't we? Yes, and rightfully so. So Judas was right to some degree, but he just didn't understand that Jesus came with an altogether different agenda. Look at Mark 4 quickly. Because this is what Jesus said was His agenda as far as the Messiah. Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me in verse 18 because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And you know what they're all doing? They're going, Great, Jesus, we are so glad you're here. You're going to set us free. That is us. And look at how they responded in verse 22. All spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. He, they, they were patting him on the back, saying, you're going to make a fine preacher, boy. Now look at what Jesus then said. He said, I didn't just come for y'all, I came for the outsiders. Look at 25 and 27. I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. None of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. Of all the hungry folks in Israel, who did God show mercy to? Somebody that wasn't even a Jew. Of all the folks that were leprous, who did God heal? A Gentile. He doesn't show up with his sword drawn ready to cut the head off of outsiders. He instead shows grace to them and it made folks fighting mad. You know why? Because when you're a rule follower, nothing makes you madder than when God rewards those that don't follow the rules like you do. What makes you mad is when you think you're a good little Baptist and God shows grace to someone who is terrible in your eyes morally. And so they went from patting him on the back and saying, you're going to be a fine preacher to look at verse 29. They rose up and drove him out of town and brought him the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. Now, Jimmy, I've had some bad endings to my sermons, but I ain't never had anybody run me out of town trying to throw me off a cliff. You know why they tried to do that? Because they didn't want God to show grace to others. You punish them bad people and you reward me, God. When you act like that, you're acting like a Judas. 
Second is Judas wanted a Messiah who would bestow power and riches. You remember what I said a couple sermons back? Possessions and affections cover virtually every reason by which men and women give their regrets to the kingdom. Judas thought the Messiah would give him the good life. Mary understood that Jesus was the good life. I think it was, was it Miss Pam you were talking about today? Young man that did not want to give his life to the Lord because he's got some, or maybe Patty, got, yeah, Patty, he's got some stuff he wants to do first. You think all that terrible stuff that you're going to get to do is a good life. Jesus is a good life. You see, what Judas think is that Jesus is useful. And what I love, Ben, is how God works things out. Because you know what Marys do? They see Jesus as beautiful. The very song we sing. A tire iron is useful. But it's ugly. Jesus ain't useful, He's beautiful. And when you think just Jesus is useful and can get you some stuff, then you're acting like a Judas. Let me tell you how you know if you're being the first or the second. is how you respond when life disappoints you. Amen. When your children want to leave your home and forsake everything you've taught them, and you say, God, you're not keeping up your end of the deal. If you don't start giving me what I want, then I'm out of here. That's Judas. When you take that child and you lay them like Isaac on the altar and you say, Lord, they're yours. Now you do with them what you want because they're your child. Then you're treating Jesus as He is, which is beautiful. Third is Jesus wanted a Messiah who would be safe and cheap. Do you know that safety and security are two of the biggest idols we have in America? You remember back in the end of Luke 11, it says that they were hunting Jesus like an animal. And so I'm sure Judas thought, just like the Wizard of Oz, I'm going to get you and your little dog too. They were coming for Jesus. He was going to be next. He's like, peace out. I'm out of here. Or you remember as Jimmy preached in Luke 14, 33 there at the end, what did Jesus say? Unless you renounce all, you cannot be my disciple. You know what Mary did? She took $45,000 worth of perfume and she said, I renounce all. And she dumped it on Jesus' head and then she wiped his feet with her hair and her tears. Following Jesus ain't safe and it ain't cheap. Amen? Amen. You best count the cost and buckle up. Finally, Judas wanted a Messiah to give him religion over relationship. The religious approach to God is this. I serve God to get stuff. I've been a good little boy, so reward me for my behavior. Mary knew the gospel. I don't deserve a thing. God's given me everything in Christ and He's a treasure worth losing everything four. And the praise for Mary is incredible. Look at what it said. It says that this testimony of her would be recounted and it has for thousands of years. The verdict on Judas is devastating. Been better if that man had never even been born. In closing, I want us to consider the tragedy before us today and the beauty before us today. Turn to Psalm 139. Earlier I concluded none of us like exams. We just went through a pretty painful one, didn't we? Yeah, we said the best indicator of our physical and spiritual health isn't how I feel, but what a physical and spiritual exam shows. The 11 apostles asked this, Is it I, Lord? Brothers and sisters, look at me. We must never grow old of asking that question of ourselves. 
In St. Matthew's Passion, Bach has the congregation sing after the words, Is it I, Lord, this? I'm the one I should repent. Mm -hmm. The tragedy is that Jesus is betrayed by me. And so look at Psalm 139, 23-24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Ask the Lord to do that of you this morning. So that's the tragedy, but then here's the beauty. Is that even though I betrayed Jesus, He was betrayed for me. You know why He was betrayed? So you didn't have to be. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. The first song we sang was about the love of God. Listen to what John says about that. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, because we betrayed Him. But that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so he writes in verse 19, we love because He first loved us. The first chapter of this great love story instead of me is this. Even though I betrayed Him, Jesus was betrayed for me. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for this day. Thank You for... Your many, many blessings, Father. Thank You for Your Word that You've allowed us to open up today. And Father, read and study. And I pray, Father, that You will take it and apply it to our lives and our hearts that, Father, through it we can look more like Christ. Father, thank You for these great songs that we have sang and how they have ministered to our heart. I pray that they will minister to us all the week. And Father, on the one hand, we're, Father, overcome with our own misgivings and our own shortfallings, Father, that we have betrayed you. But then, Father, we are overwhelmed at your unfailing, undying love and that Jesus was betrayed for us. And so we rest in that wonderful, matchless love that Jesus has for us. I pray as we come to this time of invitation that you would stir our hearts to make any decision that needs to be made for you. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. And so as far as invitation... Twofold. The tragedy of Judas and the beauty of Judas. The tragedy of Judas is this. Judas' life is a warning to those that pretend to serve Christ and their hearts are far from God. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says that we need to examine ourselves and see if we're in the faith. And so let me ask you, as I asked at a man's funeral last week, ask God to search your heart right now and if you were to die in the next 60 seconds and stand before a three-time holy God in perfect judgment, would you hear this or this? Would you hear, depart from me, you worker of iniquity? Or would you hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master? If it's the first, depart from me, I never knew you. Today is the day of salvation. So come believe on the Lord Jesus. Receive Him into your life. Confess Him as Savior and Lord and repent of your sins, turning away from your sins and toward God. So that's the tragedy of Judas. The beauty of Judas is this. If you read in the Gospels, every time the disciples are listed, you know who's listed last? Judas. And you know what is added to his name every time? That he was a traitor. Brothers and sisters, we all deserve the same to be named last, to be listed as a traitor. But if you know the Lord, you've gone from traitor to child because you've been adopted. And so listen to what Romans 8 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm sure neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor any time we ever betray Him. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. But the Scripture commands us as His children to examine ourselves and see if there be any grievous way in us and to come confessing that.
and He will cleanse us. So as we sing this morning, come, listen to the Lord's voice and make any decision that you need to make for Him this morning. Stand and sing. Oh, oh, oh. 